This is the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, show number 18. But it is a tourist market where if I did Airbnb them, it would probably get us more money. But I wanted year-round income. I wanted less work. (laughs) And Airbnb is much more work than year-rounds. I am Ashley Kerr, and I am here with wannabe Tesla owner, Felipe Mejia. Today in the show, we bring up a Tesla. So of course, I have to call you out on your Tesla that you're still shopping for. <laughs> That's exactly right. Today, we have a great guest. I can't wait to introduce her, but she does talk about a Tesla and how I believe her husband wants one. And I'm in the same boat. I really wouldn't mind buying a Tesla. But every time I have the down payment for one, I get into this mode of like, "Mm, better not. I'm going to buy another property that's going to cash flow and I'm going to use that money to buy the Tesla. And then I have the money and then I buy another rental and I get stuck in this like buying rentals rut. Yeah. And Trisha mentions that her and her husband kind of go through the same thing. Like, oh, well, you know, we could use that as a down payment on a property. Trisha is started investing when she was 45. She has a law firm. She's a lawyer. She has her own podcast. She has two kids. She is busy, 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 but still has made time for real estate investing. Yeah, I love it because she talks about some great nuggets, including property management, her managing her own properties, creative financing on one of the deals that didn't fund the day of. That's got to be scary. And then, you know, she gives great tips on how to find great people to help plumbers and, and handymen and painters, you know, how to find the best of the best in your area. She gives a great tip on how to find that. Yeah, she has kind of put it in place now where, you know, she self-managed for so many months, I think 10 months, she said, and now she has everything in place that someone is just taking care of all that property management for her. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, 
allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Well, hey, Trisha, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Super excited to have you. And well, let's get started, Trisha. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you? Sure. So I am a practicing attorney right now living in New Jersey, but I practice in Pennsylvania. Our office is in Philadelphia and married. I have a seven-year-old daughter, a 17-year-old stepson, uh, stranded at the shore, which we is the beach we in Jersey, we call the shore, which no one's going to feel sorry for me. But since COVID, we were like, you know what? I, I don't want to be in my house. Let's, let's go to the shore. So that's where I'm at. That's where we're filming from today. Super excited to be here. I'm a big fan of Bigger Pockets. It really taught me so much. So I'm kind of fangirled out a little bit here. And so thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're very uh, happy to have you. So let's get back into how you started with real estate. Did you just all of a sudden wake up one day and decide that you wanted to become a real estate investor? I wish it was that easy, but no. (laughs) So, and I didn't get started until mid forties. I'm 47 years old and I manage my Northeast law firm's office. So the satellite office and part of that growth was we really took an effort to diversify our revenue streams in business. And then through that process, I was like, but I'm not diversified. Like we had two revenue streams, which was my husband's and mine, our jobs. And if either one went away, it would be bad. So, and my husband and I have been always been very good with money. So it really didn't take a lot of convincing for him. I started reading a lot of books. I started reading Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins led me to another offer, which led me to Robert Kiyosaki, which I'm sure you, your guests always talk about. But that book changed my life. It was a light bulb moment, made me angry that I you know, hadn't been taught those principles. And then I, from that, I hit the ground running and I read everything I could. I listened to every Bigger Pockets podcast I could. And then about six to maybe eight months later, that's when we had our first investment property. But I I was obsessed, probably not in a healthy way. And I, and I loved it. It was, I was surprised at how much I loved it. So that's kind of how at 45 was our first, I was 45 years old when we bought our first investment property. So did you have to convince your husband on this or was he just automatically on board with it? He was automatically on board with it. He's always kind of automatically been on board with what I've what I've wanted to do. I've had more of an entrepreneurial mind. He's more of a, you know, he's a math teacher. So he's a math mind. He's black and white. But it made sense to him. I was like, if you lose your job or if I lose my job, what are we going to do for revenue? So it just made sense to him. Not to say it wasn't easy. It was very hard, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it made sense to him. 
So I, I'm super fortunate. I had a very supportive partner and, you know, he doesn't love it as much as I do, but he supports everything that we do. You know, I love your story so far, Trisha, because I think a lot of people think that they have to do one or the other. Sometimes I think people are like, well, I can only do real estate or I can only do what I love and what's my passion, right? And sometimes I feel like people are like, well, I have to give one up. I can't have both. Not just that. You're also a mother. You have a successful practice and now you're in real estate as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how maybe how you juggled that at the beginning before we get into your story? So at the beginning, I really, I would say it all has to do with Hal Elrod's book, The Morning Miracle or Miracle Morning. I always get that backwards. And I read it and I, for a year, I did exactly what he said. I was up at 5 a.m. and I had an hour and a half before my daughter got up to really focus on me. And I took that time to focus on real estate. I mean, I did my workouts too, but that's what I read. That's when I created an Excel spreadsheet to analyze properties. That's when I listened to podcasts and that's where my knowledge came from. And that really made the difference for me because once my day starts, there's no, at least from about eight o'clock until about six o'clock, there's not much room for real estate. So it's family, it's law, it's everything else. So that's how I got started. And I don't do as much anymore. I would love to go back to a 5am routine, but now it it's more like clockwork. Like you just get into habits and it's so much easier now that I've had a couple of investments under, under my belt. So I don't have to do the reading as much anymore, but that's how I got started. That's awesome. And you know, a lot of times it does take that time commitment where you, everyone has the same 24 hours in a day, but it's what you do with those hours instead of sleeping in or waking up and just enjoying a cup of coffee, watching the sunrise, you took advantage of that time to, to learn about real estate investing. That's great. So let's talk about your very first property. How did you find that deal? Um, what market was it in? And let's find out everything about it. Sure. So it was, we found it off the MLS. It was a triplex. It was, it's in the Jersey shore. So we invest on the Jersey shore. I come to realize it's a fantastic market as far as year round rentals. So we have a, a condo here and it made sense to look in this market as well. And so the real estate agent that sold us our condo we started to Airbnb our condo, our personal vacation condo. And he was like, I said, I want to invest in real estate. So we started thinking we would just buy another uh, vacation condo and we would Airbnb that. And we couldn't find any of the numbers that worked. And he suggested, why don't you try a year round? Why don't you try a duplex or triplex? I'm like, okay. you know. And he started showing us some. This one was off the MLS. It was overlooked. It had been on the market for almost a year. So I kind of was nervous about really proceeding with it because I'm like, what's wrong with it? No one's snatched it up. (laughs) There is that misconception sometimes that if, you know, a property has been on the market, even 30 days, people automatically assume, well, there must be something wrong with it if no one else bought it. Yeah. So that's great. You still went after it. Yeah. I went, we went after it. We put a bid, we came in really low and they pretty much accepted close to our low offer. And we hit the ground running on that. Not to say we didn't have hiccups. We got the inspection report back and I almost backed out of it. And I think because of what we saw, and I think more back now, it was more of like an analysis paralysis, like that fear of like, oh Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. This inspection report has highlights things that I'm not sure uh, I can handle, but we pushed through that fear. We closed. And in retrospect, it is, I think our second highest performing property as far as numbers go. So I'm super happy that we did it. I wanted to piggyback a little bit before we move on to the numbers. This is an area that's known for travel, right? And you said you did more of 
are you going to, did you Airbnb this property or did you say you're going to, you did more traditional renting? That's one question that I had. And then the second one was, you know, if everyone else was doing Airbnb and the trend was following that, right? Why did you decide to go a different route? So all of our rentals are in the Jersey shore. They are all year rounds. We don't Airbnb anything. And, but, and it is a tourist market where if you, if I did Airbnb them, it would probably get us more money, but it would be a summer seasonal rental thing. And I wanted year round income. I wanted less work (laughs) and Airbnb is much more work than year rounds. You know, it's just easier. And I wanted easy. I wanted the low hanging fruit. I wanted to put somebody in there and hopefully you get a long-term tenant. So you're not dealing with turnover, which is exactly what our experience has been that in a tourist market where Airbnbs are in high demand, that's where most people go. So the year round market isn't being filled and we don't have a vacancy problem because of that. We have a tenant that notifies us that they're moving out we have it filled usually before they leave because of the demand. We get 50 inquiries on like by week one. And I want to be in that market. I want to be in that situation where I'm not worried that whether we're going to be able to fill a property or unit. So Correct me if I'm wrong, Trisha. I bet there's a shortage of long-term rental properties in that area because it is such a touristy. I bet all landlords are going towards that tourist money and they end up probably leaving behind the long-term renters. Is that about right? Yeah. And it's getting worse. So the, as the, as they tear down the older properties and they put up these new condos, they sell them to people either who want second homes or who do want an Airbnb. So more of the residents end up moving off the Island in another area, but have to commute onto the Island for jobs. So if you can offer a year round rental, it's, it's just such a great on-demand unit. This is such a good example of Trisha selling the shovel when everyone's digging for gold right? Everyone's out there digging for gold with Airbnbs and doing all this. But Trisha decided to do, you know what? I'm going to rent full-time to those people out there digging for gold. And now they're having to pay Trisha in gold. So you don't have to do that digging, which is that hard work that you're talking about. And I love that because you have found a niche within a niche that's even better for yourself, less work. Let everyone else do the hard work for the little bit extra money. And that's the second thing that I'd like to say is, you know, it's not always about the money, right? Sometimes it's just wanting to work less and having that opportunity and that option to do as you want. So I love that. The low-hanging fruit is still a fruit. Yeah. And Trisha, you were self-managing this property? Yeah. So we committed for our first year, at least in my head, I committed. I'm not sure I ever voiced it to my husband, but we committed for the first year to manage. I didn't know anything about real estate my husband and I are not handy in the slightest. It's not natural to us. So I'm like this, I'm going to treat it as if I'm going to a college or university. I'm getting a degree in property management and what a learning curve that was. I learned so much. I didn't make it the whole year. I made it 10 months and then I was like, all right, enough. (laughs) I'm done. I can't do it anymore. But it taught me one, I'm I'm not the best at it. There were strengths that that I had and there were a lot of weaknesses that I had. So somebody coming in and doing it for me was the better route. So it also tells you if, if it's right for you or not. I learned a lot about my properties, the problems they had, the things that continued to come up. And I learned the tenants. I learned who was the ideal tenant, what they were looking for. And it really, every month I managed, self-managed, when we went to buy our next property, it was so much easier. So I knew exactly what I was looking for. 
Yeah. And especially when you look at the Airbnb model or long-term model, when you're self-managing, there is a lot more work to the Airbnb. Even if you hire out the cleaning, you still need to make sure that someone's going to be there to do those turnovers. You have to communicate with, you know, every single guest, making sure they checked in okay when they check out, if they need anything. So anyone that's looking to self-manage, there there does seem to be a lot more work on the Airbnb side than the long-term rental side. So now that you've put this uh, full property management in place, let's talk about that a little bit later. But I want to jump back to that first property. What were the numbers like on that deal? So we bought it for two fifteen, two hundred fifteen thousand. It was a triplex. There was two buildings. The front was a duplex, a three bedroom, two bath. Each unit was three bedroom, two bath. The rear was a cottage, separate building, and that is a two bedroom, one bath. The rents were very, very low. And compared to market, so when we bought it, we raised rents instantly and I was nervous about that, but I was confident that what they were paying was like three to 400 a month below market. So we didn't even raise it the whole amount. We raised it kind of halfway and they were long-term tenants. They had been in there for four or five years. They're still in there. So raising rents, they, even though they had said to me, I, we can't afford it. We're moving out. I said, I understand they didn't. And they're still there today. They're amazing tenants. But we had, you know, the, the, my market's a flood market. So we had to look at flood insurance, which is expensive. <laughs> and <laughs> you have to make sure you have to incorporate that in. And then we knew that we had some work to do. The inspection report came back with some stuff. So we had to budget that in. But it turned out to be on a numbers perspective, like I think, you know, we talked about the 1% rule. It was like 1.7%. It was fantastic. I felt like my first property, I hit a home run and my next two weren't home runs. They were like, you know, second, maybe first base. So I got spoiled, <laughs> but it was, I kind of stumbled onto a home run and I was like, oh, thank God. If I had not stumbled onto a home run and really hit a brick wall, I'm, who knows what have happened with my real estate journey, but we really lucked out. Trisha, I love when you talk about your tenants and raising the rent, because I think a lot of people are afraid to do that because they're afraid to lose tenants good tenants at that. One of the things that that I've heard quite a bit of people that are successful in real estate when it comes to raising rent is what you did, which is, you know, if you know the value of the property and the value that you're bringing, it's okay to raise rents because if the people respect you and respect the property, they know what it's worth. And like you said, they didn't move because they knew that the market is going to charge them that anywhere they go. So why would they move out of a place that they already feel is home? And if you're allowing them to feel that way at this property that is yours, but you're allowing them to feel like home and you raise the rent, not past market, you're not doing anything wrong by being like, oh, I'm going to raise it $100 past market value. No, you're just raising it to market value. And I think you said you even did less than market value, just a little well, then they're obviously not going to move because they're going to pay more at a different place where they, they don't feel like is home yet. So I would challenge everyone listening, don't be afraid if you do inherit tenants to raise the rent to where it's supposed to be. Because most people, if they respect the area and the place, they are going to want to stay there. Anywhere else they go, they're going to have to pay more, not including the cost to move, the cost of taking, you know, all these other costs that they're going to incur when they're moving. So, you know, kudos to you for taking that step. But my question to you is going to be, you know, what would you tell our listeners that have that fear of raising rent on tenants or inheriting tenants and then, you know, having to go in and immediately raise the rent because it is an undermarket rent? What would you tell them? I would say make sure first, maybe go back and double check and triple check your rates and what the market sustains. And if you're really confident that 
the, that what you're buying, that the rents that you're buying into are lower than market, then you just have to push through that fear. I had that fear. I kind of, we sent those letters out and I held my breath and even for the next few months, cause it was some of the, one of the tenants was like, I can't afford this. And I'm like, I, I, I appreciate that. And I, you know, we'll let you at least if that's the case, but she didn't, she stuck it out and you just have to push through that fear. And if you have that fear, if it keeps popping up, just go back and do your market research again because you're not wrong and just, just do it. Yeah. And one thing I have done before when I was raising rent for a property I'd purchased, I mean, I think the market value rent was 550 and this guy was paying 400 a month. And what I did was I pulled some comps in the area. Um, I had friends that owned property. I called apartment complexes and I just wrote down, like, if you move to this address, this is what the rent is for a two bed, one bath. And I just pulled like properties that were similar to what his apartment was. And I showed him that, you know, I'm only raising it to 450. If you move out and don't renew your lease, you're going to be paying 550 somewhere else. And um, he was fine, very receptive with doing that. So I've done that a couple more times. And I think it makes it a lot easier for the tenant to kind of understand that, you know, I'm not doing this to try to increase my profits. I mean, I am, but not doing it to be harsh. But Let's be honest um, here. Let's be honest. <laughs> But I want to show them that, you know, if, if even if they moved out, you know, I'm comparable, I'm very competitive with my rental, or I'm even lower than if they moved out. And then plus there's the moving costs. So I find that writing a letter showing those has helped very well. And then anyone who wants to find out what the, the market rents are, BP is launching BP Insights. Actually, I think by the time this episode comes out, it will have already launched and um, you can find that at biggerpockets.com. And also, if you subscribe to Wealth Magazine, also every week or every month, they, they do an issue. I think every other month, a new issue is released, Felipe. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So they will um, do an article in there, the BP Insights, too. And there'll be lots more data, not just uh, what the rental market is. But go ahead and you can you can search in there if you guys want to find out what some of the rents are in your area. But let's go back to talking about property management. How did you find a property manager and how do you think self-managing helped you find that property manager and kind of oversee them? So I struggled to find a property manager. I went on bigger pockets, the the chats and stuff and and reached out to some people and I wasn't big enough at the time to for some of those people to take me on or I reach out to people you know, re referrals and they wouldn't show up. I had a lot of bad experience getting property managers to talk to me. And then I started combing through Craigslist and seeing if I can figure out um, what listings were managed by a property manager. And we had some listings on uh, Craigslist. And it turns out I had a woman reach out to me because she had seen my listing for vacancy. And she reached out to me and I'm like, it, it was like karma or something. Cause nothing, nothing I had done worked so far. And I met her, I liked her. She was new to property management, but she had a paralegal background with foreclosures and she knew the legal aspects of it. And she also had, um, she had run a repair company and maintenance company. I'm like, all right, she has the skill sets. Let's give this a whirl. And she worked out fantastically. Um, you know, we did definitely had some trial and error and she made some mistakes and I made some mistakes, but we're in sync now and it's been a year and it's been great. But yeah, it definitely helped me because when she would come to me for questions, because she had a lot of them, like the first three or four months, she's still relatively new to this. So she had a lot of questions. If I had not managed 
self-managed, I wouldn't have known how to answer them. So it was very helpful. So she would come to me and say, this, this property, this sink is backed up or this toilet's backed up. I'm like, oh, well, that one has a sewer problem. You're going to have to go drain the sewer line. And so I kind of knew how to direct her a little bit versus I think we would have been spinning our wheels together if I hadn't have done that. No, it's really important to be in sync with your property manager because, you know, like you said, you self-manage for a while. So you knew the the little kinks in your property, the little things that were like, oh, just do this. It's fine. You don't have to do a brand new sewer line. Like just drain the line like you're going to be fine. I think it's really important to do that. What would you tell our listeners who were like, well, I, I'm everyone tells me that I need to immediately buy a property and give it to a property manager, right? They're like, I don't I want to be completely hands off. What are some of the key roles that you learned by by being your own property manager before you passed it on to someone else? Well, I would definitely say don't do that. I mean, I know there's a school of thought that says you should immediately get a property manager. I personally didn't walk that walk. So my experience about self-managing for 10 months, I wouldn't take it back for the world. And I would recommend everybody do it for the reasons we've kind of talked about. But I learned really how to get a list of vendors together. Cause we were an hour and a half away, like from our properties. And it wasn't like I could just pick up and move and go and look at a toilet, right? We put together a list of vendors. We had everything systematized. So my, my uh, tenants knew when they could call me for the mundane and they knew when they, when and how to get in touch with me for emergency. So I could ignore essentially during the day, any, anything that was not urgent. And if I, but if I knew if I got a text at 10 o'clock on a Saturday, I knew it was a problem. So we really worked to get those systems in place and really the vendors having local vendors. We went through a lot. We went through a lot that didn't show up or told us they did the work and they didn't. And we found some really quality, good vendors that I don't even give out to anybody anymore because they're ours, but that was really the key for me. And then with every complaint that I got, I, I, I handled the next one better. You know, I knew, I, I know like, Oh, call that guy at you know, for the HVAC or, you know, that's a plumbing issue. Call that guy or whatever it may be. It was kind of easier. So Trish, can you give us some, some tips and tricks on how to find good vendors? Cause that's, I think that's a lot of people's questions. How do I find the good ones, right? Versus the bad ones. And you know, personally I've had to that's really weird, but kiss a lot of frogs before I found the right, you know, the, <laughs> the, the right. Hey, g- girls crush it in real estate as well, right? Girls can do the same thing any guy can do. So I was thinking about that. I was saying it out loud. I was like, wait a minute, that, that's not gonna come out, right? But you get what I mean, right, Trisha? How I do, do you find? Do. How do you find the prince charming in in real estate? I think my most successful has been Facebook groups, neighborhood Facebook groups. So in my area, there's several that are closed groups owners. And for me, there's like a a shore rental owners and you can go on and you can be like, what, who's, who's, what's a good plumber. And you, you, and I usually, what I do, I would wait for five people to recommend the same guy. And then I'd reach out to that guy. That was my most successful looking up on a phone book, looking on Craigslist. None of that worked for me. And even my, my friend, my circle of friends, they weren't in real estate that it wasn't all that helpful, but my fellow rental owners really were super helpful. And we did that you know, in the shore. And we also did that where we live in, in New Jersey at home, where we joined a local Facebook group for even vendors there. But number one tip, seek out those closed groups, get in them and start asking questions. I really like that advice because really you're just getting referrals. It's not even them advertising. Like if you looked up Google searched a plumber and you know, whatever 
city. I like that you're getting referrals on those people. And someone's, especially in a closed Facebook group, someone's probably not going to give a bad recommendation in that group because then someone could easily come back at them. Hey, so-and-so recommended this guy. He was awful, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I had like, I had my, we put security cameras on one property. And so I put a a little post in the group. I'm like, I need a security guy. I had this one guy pop up 30 times, like 30 times as this is the guy. I'm like, okay, well, that's the guy. And he was fantastic. So I, it's, it's, I highly recommend it. That's good. Good. That's really good because, you know, I feel like word of mouth is something that you can't fake. Right. If you get 30 reviews from a closed Facebook group, clearly you're doing something right. What I like about that as well is usually when I meet with a contractor, I end up telling him, Hey, you were given great reviews on this private Facebook group. Right. And and then I feel like that gives them a little more pressure to kind of do what they got to do. You know what I mean? Like to do it better. And it puts a little bit more pressure on them as well. So how are you able to now translate and transfer all this great information that you have in your city to your property manager? How did that transition happen? I know you told us a little bit about it, but you know what system did you create for her to follow? So I think I really just started with my list of vendors. Here's my list of vendors. And I would love to say that I had a really nice, thoughtful system in place, but it was really an on-the-job two months where I, I still was self-managing while she was on board. And we we would tour the property together. I would show her like, here's, here's the the listing that I normally do. Here's the tenant that I, the type of tenant I normally look for. It was just, I think multiple conversations over two months. And I, and I knew that I had to give her that learning curve. You know, I, I knew that I was taking a little bit of a risk on somebody new, but she was hungry and she had the background. And I knew I had to give her some space to, to, do it, get it right and get it wrong. And we would just be in contact. I mean, the first two months, I think it was daily that we were in contact, whether it was a text or a phone call or an email. And eventually that starts to taper off. So I think anybody who is self-managing and passes that off to a property manager, you have to expect a little bit of that learning curve, especially if you go independent. I don't know if you have this large portfolio of rental properties and you give it to a rental company, then maybe it's different experience. But that when you're passing it off to a single property manager, I think that's walk into it with that mindset. How many properties do you own now and have you passed on to her to kind of take over? So we have four properties, 13 units, and we are actually looking for our next one. And the, that's she's awesome. All, Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it. We, our last one we did a year ago, it was more than a year, it was April of 19 and it was so hard and we, ugh, it was so hard that we were like, all right, we're going to take a break. Yeah. <laughs> and now I think we're through that, the scarring of what happened on that property, right. but we passed them all on to her. And it has been amazing because in, yeah. in retrospect, we went through, my husband and I went through some family stuff this year that we would not have had the mental capacity to handle the rentals. And we had to do mm-hmm. two evictions uh, this year and we had never done that before. So it was all in the same time. And him and I thank our lucky stars that we had her because she handled all of that. And it would have made our life a hundred times worse if we'd had that stress as well. So she manages them all. I love it. She's fantastic. And we never, we'll never go back. 
<laughs> That's great. I think everyone wishes they had someone like that. I know Felipe needs someone like that to pick up his rent, right? <laughs> I do. I need I need a great property manager out here in the Nashville area, seriously. But I need I want someone like what you found, Trisha. Someone that is hungry, that's not necessarily new, but still wants to learn, trainable. I don't know what the word for it is there, but you know, someone that I'm gonna mesh with well. You know, it's it's a business that you create and you don't want to just hand it over to anybody to take over. But you know what? It's interesting. I know the importance of it because now you're able to just plug and play, right? Yeah. Now you have a great property manager, great systems in place, great plumbers, handymen, painters, whatever the case may be. And literally now it's just plugging in the next property to that and plugging in the next property to that. And you've created a system that works very, very well. So kudos to you for that. You're definitely going to keep growing. You're going to be adding more properties. You're going to be crushing it. I can already see that. And, oh, and like thanks. I said, you know, what you're doing is remarkable because if I'm not mistaken, you're still, you still have your job, correct? Yeah. I'm still practicing. I'm still trying to grow my business, which is, takes up 90% of my time. Real estate's like my little side baby. It always <laughs> will be. It's a little love yeah. of my life, but yeah, I'm still doing that. But it is, you know, our goal, when we walked into it, we had a monetary goal. Here's the cash free cash flow we want to hit because we want options. And maybe there's one day where I don't want to run the business. Maybe there's one day where my husband doesn't want to teach anymore. And we want options at that point. So we haven't hit that number yet, but we're, we're getting there. And, and every time, like my husband desperately wants a Tesla, I mean, desperately. Who and doesn't, I'm like, who doesn't yeah, as a real estate investor? Oh, you just, oh, you just perked up my ears there. Who doesn't want a Tesla as a real estate investor? I, know, I, I hope he's not listening right now, but I'm like, we could buy a Tesla or we can use that as a down payment on our next rental property, no, which then lets Trisha, you retire in think, three years. No, don't think that way. Just do it. No, I'm just kidding. That's actually a no, perfect. I do the same thing. The same way. I do the same thing. Trisha. I literally will have the money for a down payment yeah. for a Tesla. And it just so happens that this beautiful real estate property comes up on the MLS. And I'm like, well, look at that. That's another five, $600 in cash flow. Uh, that's so me. Now, with all your deals, how are you financing them? So we have them all on mortgages. So the first three were really easy because we have a condo at, at, our, at the beach, at the shore. And because we Airbnb it, the mortgage company treated that as a rental investment. So the first three were like easy peasy. And we went back for the fourth to that bank. And they're like, sorry, you already have four. We don't do more than four. And we struggled to find the fourth one. And we made a, some big mistakes. We ended up getting a broker who promised us financing. And on the day that our commitment was due, he was like, sorry, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't oh have it gosh. for you. And I was like in panic mode and we just had to really scrape to find, to find financing. And we did at a very crazy interest rate at the time. It was like 6.5 or something, which was not market, but yeah, they're all on mortgages, you know, and we're debating the next strategy. Like, do we buy the next, we want to buy the next property, but we've thought about, do we maybe start to pay down? the other ones, but they are such good numbers right now. We're doing pretty well in the recession. So we're sort of leaning towards buying another one, but that's, that's certainly something, a conversation that we have constantly is, well, maybe we should start to take this extra money from the rents and pay down this mortgage. So I don't have an answer for it, but it's part of what we're our current discussions. Trisha, I love what you said. And I'm over here kind of laughing because every investor goes through this. I know me and Ashley text about it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> cash flow to pay down the property, cash flow to buy more property, refinance to buy more property, pay the loan down. What do the numbers work? And you know, honestly, I think I've come to the conclusion that you got to do what's best for yourself and what's going to make you sleep comfortable at night. Here's the thing. I have never regretted a property that I've paid off. 
But I've also never regretted a property that cash flows where someone else is paying down the loan. So I don't think there's a bad option, but I would say just do what makes you comfortable and allows you to sleep better at night. What would you say, Trisha? Yeah, I mean, I I don't have the answer to that. I think we have teetered between both as we go into what I think many think may be a down market and with interest rates where they're at, it seems silly to pay off a mortgage that has 4% interest rate. It seems silly to do that when I can get a property that returns 8 to 9%. Like but the conservative side of me is is if we really do go through a downturn uh, in the next couple months and our tenants really aren't able to make the rent, having that mortgage payment is going to be a pain. So I think you just go through your exercise. My husband and I have different risk tolerances. He's is lower than mine. I have a pretty high risk tolerance. Mm-hmm. So, and I look back at, you know, where do I want to be in five years? What What is my rental portfolio? What do I want it to look like? And I, I kind of want it to be bigger. Like I'd want to, I want to leave something to my, to my daughter and my stepson. I want to pass something off. I want assets. I have things of value. I, I, I like that, but talk to me in a year. I'll, 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 I'll know more what, what we ended up doing yeah. with that. <laughs> I can completely relate to that. Just like not knowing which way I'm going to go, but with that high interest rate mortgage, do you have plans to refinance out of that? And like going forward now, do you have multiple kind of strategies for financing having gone through that one where the deal fell through that now when you're looking at this next property, are you going to kind of have you know, a backup financing plan in place? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. we're definitely going to have a backup. <laughs> After what the, we went through on that, we were definitely going to have a backup. But, but yeah, so there we've, we, we're either going to refi and we might do simultaneous. We're either going to refi the, the 6.5% property. We're going to work to pay it off as quickly as we can. Those are the two options for that property. We, you know, we've saved up. We haven't taken anything out of the business yet. Every piece of rent gets built, used to build up reserves or used to for the next down payment on the next rental property. So, so we're, I, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do, but that, that on that 6.5, it's one of those options. And we're going to do that soon. I know interest rates are crazy low right now. So I want to take advantage of that. And then we have from that last property that we had that bad experience, I have two guys that are, are willing to finance me. So I'm keeping them in my back pocket. I think I, I feel pretty confident about them. If I were to go to them with a good deal and a good property, I think we, we could get the financing. Trisha, I love that you still took action even though it had a high interest rate. I've heard so many people that are like, Felipe, I didn't you know buy the property because the numbers didn't make sense. The interest rate was like six and a half. And I'm like, okay. But when you ran your numbers, does the mortgage still get paid and do you still cash flow some? Yes, I do still cash flow, but the interest rate's too high. And I'm like, that's, I personally, I don't think that's the best way to look at it. I think if the numbers still make sense at a higher interest rate, then your next goal should be to eventually get that interest rate to a lower rate where your numbers are going to make even better sense. But don't lose the deal because the bank is going to make more money. Don't worry about that. Get the property under your name. If it's at a high interest rate, but the numbers still make sense with cash flow or whatever it is that you want to do with that property, don't lose it because someone else is going to make more money. You know, lose it because it's a bad deal. Don't lose it because the interest rate is too high, where eventually you can cash out refinance or refinance or whatever the case may be. And my perfect example to this was my, one of my second rental properties that I purchased. The interest rate was like a 5.5 five on an adjustable rate mortgage in five years. I had five years to figure it out. When I bought it, I was freaking out. I was like, oh my gosh, I have five years and I have to do this quickly. And then I realized, wait a minute, that's five years that I have to figure this out. Three years later, I refinanced, cashed out about 
80% of my money, still 20% of my money is in there, but now I have a lower interest rate, a 30-year mortgage, and I still cash flow only about $50 less than I was when I had the higher interest rate. So I'm glad I took the plunge just like you did. So kudos to you for doing that. Now, I guess my question with that is, and then we'll move on from here is, you know, when you heard the high interest, why did you say yes versus saying no? You know, no wasn't even an option in my head. I mean, I'll be honest, like it was just not an option. We, we, I wanted this property so bad it, from a numbers perspective, it looked better than anything else we had already purchased. And I knew what we were buying it for. And then the rents that we could get would make this a slam dunk at no matter what interest rate. I think it would have worked at an 8% interest rate. I mean, it was crazy good. So I was, I was not letting go of this property. I couldn't find anything else even close to the numbers on this. So no, wasn't even an option. We were initially quoted, I think like four and a quarter. So when I heard six and a half, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so we went back and ran the numbers again and it still cash flowed very well. And so it was just a matter of how do we do the deal? You know, we, I, when, when that guy told me he could not get me financing, there was that moment where I'm like, throw my hands up. All right. You know, panic, 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 panic. And I think it lasted for five minutes. I'm like, all right, let's put your head down. You, you've, you'd solve problems for a living. You can solve this one. And I, I reached out to friends and I'm like, does anyone want to come in and we can do an all cash purchase? Like I was doing everything. (laughs) And then this one came and I just took it right? Because the seller, we had to go back and ask for an extension for the mortgage commitment. And the seller was getting nervous that I wasn't going to be able to deliver. So I was like, all right, we just, we just need to get the first thing. And we and did you don't want to lose year. your earnest money either. Right. And we, we did a seven year arm. I think that's what it's called. Seven year adjustable. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's, yep. it's fixed. And then it's, right. yeah. So we did the same thing that you did. We were like, we have seven years. Seven years is a long time. We can figure something else out with this property. We can we can refinance it to a better rate at some point. So I, that, I'm with you on that. But no is not an option. And I think you have to go with that mindset. You just have to figure out a way to round that whatever problems in front of you. I actually had that happen before too, where it was actually the first property my husband and I were buying together. And I had uh, I had had a partner before that where we used his cash to make offers and then we would refinance and then pay him off and then use his cash again. So the first property we did, my husband just kind of went on the mortgage with me and we had this bank all lined up. We submitted our application and it was a week before the commitment letter was due and the loan officer hadn't even input the information into the computer to start the application process. And she had had every single document she needed for at least two weeks. Like that is one thing I'm really good about is getting information to loan officers and getting financing in place. And so I called my realtor like crying. I'm like, I I don't know what to do. So we got an extension also. And she recommended a loan officer to me that she recommends to a lot of people. And they had such a great relationship that the loan officer, I mean, just expedited this for me and we got commitment in time and we didn't even need the extension, but, um, guys, that, that was so scary. And I was also in panic mode and that no was not an option because I had put my deposit down and I really wanted the house. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 verse, that fear. Oh yeah. boy. It, it's, yeah. I remember that a year later, I remember what that felt like. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely something that no one wants to go through. Definitely understand that. But Hey, Trisha, if it's okay with you, why don't we move on to the rookie request line portion of the show? Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. All right, let's do it. So this is the portion of the show where we allow one of the rookies to call in a question and we're going to have you answer that. Now, anyone can reach us at any time. It's one 5 rookie They can leave a voicemail and then we'll have our guest answer it. All right, are you ready for this? Here we go. Ready. Hello, this is Amanda, a rookie investor from Wyoming. My husband and I currently have three out-of-state rentals. Between all our properties, we have three mortgages, including our primary, plus one HELOC. After acquiring our most recent rental, we focus on building up large reserves for each property. After we hit that goal, it's possible we may qualify for one additional property using conventional financing, though we may have to explore alternative financing because our properties are too recent to be included as taxable income. My question is, when evaluating whether or not to acquire more rentals, how can we make sure not to over-leverage our position? Is there a sweet spot of balancing equity and debt or are reserves enough protection? Oh, wow. That's a fantastic question. We I just feel like talked get, about that too. <laughs> I think we should get, you should get that person on your podcast. You know, I think the sweet spot is different for everybody. For us, it is six months of reserves for principal interest taxes and insurance. And we're fine with that. And 
after that, it, any extra money, it goes to the next property or whatever we want to do with it. We, like I said, we haven't pulled anything out yet, but that's our sweet spot. I'm, we don't have a vacancy issue. I, I, I don't fear that, you know, on a regular market that we're going to have a six months vacancy. Now, COVID is a concern, <laughs> certainly if we go through something like this again, but six months for us is really our sweet spot. I know people that have zero reserves. I know people that have three months reserves. It's really what your comfort level is like. And that's that's kind of where ours are at. I don't know if I answered that right, but it's it's kind of where where I'm at. No, I think you answered it perfectly. And I'll give my example. I mean, I have I only have three months in reserves, but I have one paid off property with a full HELOC. And my HELOC is my cash reserve if something goes wrong. So, you know, that that's kind of where I sleep comfortable at night. It used to be about seven to eight months in reserves and Ashley laughed at me. So I invested half of that into another rental and went down to about three or four months and then put a HELOC on it. But I just didn't tell Ashley about that last part. Are you, st- are you still sleeping comfortable at night? I sleep very well. That's, see, that's all that I care about. <laughs> when a lot of people ask that, you know, how much should I have in reserves? I think they're more just looking for other people's opinions because there is no right or wrong answer for that. And, you know, you can take what um, I think the co- a common answer is three to six months, but I would say maybe not having any reserves might be the wrong answer, but, you know, maybe you have a HELOC and you're comfortable using that and you don't think that that would ever be taken away by the bank. But yeah, I, I do six months reserves right now. So and we have a HELOC too. It makes me nervous to use it or rely on it Um, again. And I think that's just a personal preference. Do you have a HELOC as well as a backup or are you good with six months reserves? I have a HELOC also, but mine right now is maxed out on uh, two properties waiting to refinance. So I don't, I don't like to rely on that because I use it to purchase properties. So that's why I don't count it towards any kind of reserve. That's not really fair though. Ashley picks up properties for like 20 grand. So that's... (laughs) Yeah, but I have rehab costs. (laughs) I want to come to your market. That sounds like an awesome market. Yeah, today, I so the last property I just purchased was for 27,000 a week and a half ago. And I've got the Amish there today putting on a a new metal roof on the property and National Fuel is there and they uh, already called me and said that I'm going to need a new service line put in. But yeah, so we're just... Spending money, spending money. Like she smiles, she's good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Swipe it, swipe it, Ashley. Yeah, except for the Amish, they'll only take cash. So, you know. You know, have a great workmanship though. You get really great workmanship. Yeah. Yeah. They've done like half of the furniture in our house. They do such a great job. So let's uh, move on to our next segment here. And this is uh, someone who I already think I know who your answer is going to be, but this is someone who has really helped you build your business, has been a huge asset to you. And we call this segment our MVP. Trisha, who is your MVP? Who is the person you could not live without in real estate investing? Like Ashley said, I think we already know who it is. Yeah, you know who it is. My property manager, man, I I would be pulling my hair out. I would be bold right now if I did not have her to rely on. So, and with the more, every property we add, (laughs) I'm so thankful. And she she called me about a couple of weeks ago. We haven't talked in a while. And she's like, I just want to check in. You know, the the property manager agreement is coming up for new and make sure you're, you're still good with it. I'm like, yeah. Yes, please don't leave me. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> yes. 
you're stuck to me. Sorry, you can't go anywhere. And you know what? <laughs> I want to. I want to start purchasing in other markets. I want to diversify my markets. But I don't. But I don't want to lose her. Like going through trying to find another her. I feel like it's going to be really hard. So I'm so hesitant to to go into a different market for that reason. You'll just have to have her train your new person. That's a great idea. Yeah, have her uh, be in charge of that. Have her hire the person. Have her do the legwork and find that person for you. I'm going to write that down. That's beautiful. (laughs) I hadn't even thought about that. I need to learn to take my own advice (laughs) because I'm already thinking of some areas in my life where I need to have someone uh, hire someone for me. I love that. I love that. But let's go on to, we have a couple uh, random questions that we like to ask our guests. Felipe, go ahead. Why don't you uh, pick the first one? So Trisha, this is just a list of like four questions that we're going to ask you. And they're just fun questions to kind of get to know you a little bit. So there's no wrong answer here. What is one bucket list item that you've yet to cross off that you are just ready to lock, knock off your bucket list? Is it real estate or non-real estate or doesn't matter? Doesn't matter. There's no wrong okay, answer. Cool. I'm going to be a geek out and say, I really want to, I want to buy an apartment. I want to buy an apartment complex. Like that's oh, my, wow. my bucket list. I want to go bigger. I want to do bigger deals. Let's go. And your husband, Tesla, I'm assuming. Right. right. After we get the Tesla, but the Tesla. There we go. I just wanted to make that sure that was clear. Okay. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A veterinarian. Yeah. I think I just, changed? I think. I, you know what? I think I started to see like blood and stuff and guts. And I'm like, I just, I, I had no idea whether that would be what veterinarians do. Yeah. But I loved pets. So I was like, I want to be a veterinarian. And then when I got in high school, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. So you dis- in the did wall. the frog dissection. We I had think to do that's the what it frog was. and the, ca- the frozen cats. I remember in biology. And the pig. Did you ever do the pig? We did that too. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We did the pig. Freaked yep, me yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, Felipe, I'm just did you do, do any animal animals? God no! I don't know where you guys grew up. I have none of that. What are you kidding me? We both are from. Did you grow up in the Northeast in New I Jersey? Did, too? Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm down York, here so. in the South. Or I guess it'd be. I don't want to do none of that. That's weird. I never heard about that. No, that's fun. That's exciting. I would never do that though. Anyways, moving on. Patricia, what is one of the best habits you've formed regarding real estate? Like, what's one thing that you're like, if I didn't start doing this, you know, you know, over and over again, it it would have failed. So what's a good habit to have as a real estate investor? Uh, I think for me, it was analyzing a property every day. Even if I knew the it was out of my reach or it wasn't quite in my market or whatever, I would, every day I would go on the real estate websites and look for multifamilies, small multifamilies, and I'd pick one. So I have a million Excel spreadsheets. A million. million. I I might be exaggerating a little bit, but I have a ton of them. And after, and it's what helped me tweak my Excel spreadsheet. It's what helped me kind of get, then eventually get away from, I don't even use them anymore. I can do the numbers in my head based off what I know. But if I hadn't gone through that process and sit down and list out the expenses and here's I, I probably would have forgotten stuff. Like, you know, at first I was like, I didn't include landscaping in my numbers. And that turned out to be a bigger number than expected. And so it was that for me was creating an Excel spreadsheet for me. And there's a ton of, I know Bigger Pockets has tools out there that you can use, but I knew mine needed to be tweaked for my market. So I created one. It wasn't complicated, but I tweaked it over time. And then we, I would just analyze a property every day. 
That's one thing I've been working on too, is creating lists. And especially for my partner and I, we just did concrete countertops. And like we had watched YouTube videos, we had all our supplies. Well, in the middle of it, we realized we forgot to stop. And so now, like whenever we're doing something for the very first time, we are just writing out the steps, even if it's like the simplest things, just writing it out and has helped us tremendously. And now I'm starting to do that, you know, even bigger picture for a rehab. Okay. What's the order of contractors I need to hire people and, you know, check, I called them, check, I got their quotes, stuff like that. So I'm really trying to get into those systems uh, even more. So the last question I have for you is a bit of a rookie hazing. Felipe will help you out though. What song is your guilty pleasure? And can you sing a little bit of it for us? Oh boy. Um, it's, Let's go. Come on. It's, you got it's, it. It's the Lego song from the Lego movie. This song's going to get stuck inside your head. Hey. I don't know the name of it, but it's, it's something that goes yeah, something I like know that. exactly what song you're talking about. My, kids love my daughter Legos. watched yeah. the movie. It got stuck inside my head. So, and, and now hilarious. I want to I play it. And she was like, mom, that's a dumb song. <laughs> you're like, it wasn't great. dumb a year ago when you had it stuck in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Trisha. I know that you said that, I think you had told us before that we started recording that you have your own podcast, actually. And I'm really excited. Tell us a little bit about that before we move on. So I have to give kudos to Bigger Pockets because Bigger Pockets is the first podcast that I religiously listened to. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years later and for my, for my law job, my legal job, I wanted to start a podcast and I just kind of mirrored <laughs> what I saw in Bigger Pockets. <laughs> I don't know if that's illegal or not, if I just copy you guys, <laughs> but, but I did, you know, as far as how yeah. it was set up and it's the coolest experience. And I really wanted to capture the spirit, which I think Bigger Pockets does so well, which is a fun approach to real estate. You laugh, you tell great stories. So that's what we did with our podcast. It's all based on legal stuff. So it's it's more for lawyers and risk managers and general counsel, but we try to talk about issues that are important to them, just like you guys do in the real estate market and try to make it just a little bit fun and based uh, very much on stories. Because I think that's really what people want to hear. They don't want to be dictated to. They want to hear your experiences and, the, and what worked and didn't work for you. And so we're trying to capture a little bit of that. That's awesome. That's really cool. And where can people find out more information about you and your podcast? So I'm really heavily on LinkedIn. So if you're a business mind, I'm on there. I post every day. So you can find me on LinkedIn. You can also find me at my website, which is, you know, morganandakins.com. You can find me there and you can always email me at um, pbaxter at morganakins.com. I'm there too. So, and if you are in the legal world and you want to check out my podcast, The Defense Never Rests, that's what it's called. I love it. So fun. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, being on the show with us today. We really appreciate it. I love it. it. I love it. Anytime you want to need a guest to fill in, if somebody backs out, call me. (laughs) We will. We will. We had fun today. I'm Ashley Kerr, and he's Felipe Mejia. You can find us on Instagram at Wealth From Rentals and at Felipe Mejia, R-E-I. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. 
you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.